Well, it's good to be back with you on this first Sunday for me of the new year. I know it's the second Sunday for you all. It feels like we've been gone a long, long time. Um, but really today, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit as we share a sermon together um, about maybe a New Year's thought, uh, something that is a little bit of a New Year's resolution for me, um, and it's about glorifying God. It does come from Psalm 19. Do you know this verse, uh, Psalm 19, the last one of the, of the Psalm, verse 14? May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I think that that's a great verse for me as I'm walking into this new year. That the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in the Lord's sight. That they would be pleasing to God. Um, the psalm is all a psalm of praise. Uh, but this one in particular, I feel like, helps us think ahead. Those of you guys uh, that know we were coming back and traveling this week, I appreciate your prayers. This is what the weather looked like um, a couple days ago on Thursday when we were looking at the forecast. And then some of you all that were maybe stuck, I hope nobody was stuck on I-95 last week on Thursday, but it was a bit of a disaster. Um, and we can look ahead or get stranded. I appreciate this week, I got calls from Cindy, I got calls from Hirsch, people saying, hey, uh, I know you're not here, but we're supposed to have freezing rain on Sunday. And it sort of looked like it wasn't going to be too bad, and it kind of looked like, well, it was possible, it was raining here this morning. Uh, so we decided to have worship uh, virtually today. We've learned how to do this, at least we're trying to. We're either looking ahead, we're either kind of examining what's coming up, or we often get stuck. And the challenge this morning, I believe, is that some of us are getting stuck. We get stuck in our spiritual lives. We're not looking for those places where we might be in trouble, where there might be a storm on the horizon, where things might get a little slippery or things might get a little bogged down. If you let me extend this metaphor for a minute, I think that we can kind of get into these patterns where we're thinking we're traveling along in a journey. But instead, we're getting stuck. We're getting stuck in a rut. We're getting stuck uh, because we're not looking ahead. We're not making plans. We're not allowing God's Word and His presence to really kind of wash over us and to strengthen us. And so today, um, and actually for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this sort of a New Year's prayer. Lord, let the meditations of my heart uh, and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. Let's focus on this first part today. May the words of my mouth be glorifying to God. May the word, every word that passes by my lips, might they be glorifying to God. This may not be the sermon for you, but it's definitely the sermon for me. As I've been thinking about this one this past couple weeks, kind of in looking forward to this this Sunday, I'm just noticing more and more how, how much of what I talk about, how much that, that comes through my mouth is not really about the Lord. It's not glorifying to God. In fact, it's exactly opposite of what God's Word tells me to do. So if you would join me for just a minute, let's reflect about 
what God says about our speech and our words. Psalm 19, as we talked about, is that psalm of praise. Look what it says. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. Now, we might be tempted to think that, well, if you've read much of the Psalms, that's just how the Psalms go. They're often saying things like, Lord, be glorified in all the heavens. Let, let the praises of your people renown. Let, let the trees of the field clap their hands. Let the brilliance of the stars reflect your glory. It seems like nature is often one of these um, instruments or metaphors that the psalmist used to bring us to this idea of praising God and the worthiness of God to be praised. But look what it says here. I think this is actually something we shouldn't miss. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies pro uh, proclaim the works of his hands, but it's day after day, night after night. The idea is that God's creation is constantly bringing praise and honor and glory to God. The rivers, the oceans, the fish, the birds, the skies, the wind, the weather patterns, it all brings glory to God all of the time. You get where we're going, right? We also are God's creation. We are the work of his hands. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are designed to bring glory and honor to God all of the time. We are not to be those that praise God on Sunday. We are not those that are simply supposed to be the ones who uh, sing to the Lord when we've got the Christian radio station on in the car. We're not supposed to be ones that, oh, when we're in Bible study uh, talking about uh, Scripture, that's when we're glorifying God. No, it's day after day, night after night, 100% of the time, all day, every day, we are called as God's people to bring glory to Him. Anybody feeling like you're failing at that? <laughs> I mean, I look at my speech. I look at what I'm talking about. I'm looking at what I'm complaining about. I'm looking at what I'm arguing about or what, who I'm speaking against. And all of a sudden, I begin to realize I am not reflecting the glory of the Lord like the heavens, like the skies. Now, we don't have to be... The kind of like, okay, and it's time to get hard on ourselves. I, I think a little bit we should, but James in James chapter 3 says, Look, we all stumble in many ways. We have this sin nature, we have this flesh, and we all sin in, in, in many ways. I get it. You sin, I sin. That's why we need the forgiveness of Jesus. But don't miss what he says at the middle of verse 2. But anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect able to keep their whole body in check. Now, that made me scratch my head. If I'm never at fault in what I say, well, here's the answer, I'll just never speak. Perfection, right? Well, okay, maybe it's not that. I don't think that's what he's saying. We are supposed to continue to communicate and supposed to speak. The idea is God's also judging the meditations of our hearts, but also here the idea is if we are controlling our tongue, if we are thinking about 
what we say, how we say it, and if we're bringing God glory in what we say, we're probably doing pretty good at resisting temptation in our life. We are probably doing pretty good at being able to, to live out that self-controlled life that the Holy Spirit produces in us because we are so quick to let our mouths just run off. I got that phrase while I was driving through Tennessee. <laughs> we stopped and got a little snack on the way out of, of the hotel in the morning. Um, there was a, a man talking and he was talking very profusely. And finally he used a phrase. He said, oh, I just run off at my mouth. And I thought, run off at the mouth. I don't, I don't hear that phrase very often here in Maryland run off at the you understand what he's saying you understand the metaphor it means his mouth is just flowing and his mind isn't in control it's just going and going and going and going god calls us to be those who are watching our words being careful in what we say why well he goes on to explain james does in verse six that the tongue is a fire a world of evil among the parts of the body. It can corrupt the whole body and sets the course of one's life on fire as it and is itself set on fire by hell. What's he talking about? Well, if you've ever gotten to that place where you're really angry, where it just takes over, you begin to say things you don't mean. You begin to like say things that, wow, you wish you could have taken that back before it ever came out of your mouth. If you've gotten where your words actually sort of increase the anger, sort of raise the, 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 the stakes. In my courses that I teach, one of the first things I bring out on day one is that we don't use profanity in the classroom. I just explained that, that that may be part of your common speech, but here in the classroom, we want this to be, a, in some ways, it's your profession. You are a student right now, and you need to not use profanity in the classroom. Because many of the students, you'll be going into the workplaces where it will not be accepted. Uh, whether you're a nurse or whether you're a school teacher, you just cannot use profanity in front of the children or in front of the patients. Uh, it, it's, just not, it's just not up to the code of conduct. And so let's just practice here. So it's not allowed. This year I noticed something. In my first set of group presentations, they all have to do a group presentation on a particular ethical issue in my ethics class. The first group went ahead and began to use profanity in their presentation. It was interesting, though the second group did not, the debate part of the was more intense, more heated, people were more accusatory than any of the other presentations in any of the other classes for the rest of the semester. I did remind them all we don't use profanity after that first group. It was interesting that we can actually, our speech can influence our attitude. You would think that our attitudes would just be controlling our speech, but as we talk, as we allow those words to come out, sometimes we can actually work ourselves into a frenzy. We can actually get more out of control. Keeping a tight rein, a control on our tongues is what God is calling us to do. James here is reminding us that it's a danger. It's a fire. It can very quickly get out of control in our lives. I watched this this year in a course evaluation. It's usually my favorite day of the year. I gotta be honest, students usually like my classes. I get positive feedback and I'm a words kind of person. Um, so I like getting positive kudos. But I watched a young man just get, he really didn't like my class. But what he ended up saying was blatantly untrue. 
it, it was just, it wasn't constructive criticism. It was just, I don't know. He just really wanted to, to, to do some harm. Are we keeping control of our lives? Are we watching what we say? James says in verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures have been, are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Lord, let the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. Well, so what do we need to watch for? It's almost like looking at the weather forecast, looking at our own speech. What do we need to look out for? What are the warning signs? What are the things like, hey, danger, uh, be careful, do some self-evaluation. You're on a slippery path here that, that's getting your life out of control. What do we need to look for in our speech? Well, the first thing that we've got to look for is probably the biggie for me, complaining and arguing, complaining and arguing. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become pure and blameless, children of God, without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them, among other people, like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the words of life. Complaining and arguing. This is the place where... <clears throat> We just seem to be almost addicted to saying what's wrong in the world. I'll tell you, after spending two days with me in the car, my wife is like, um, <clears throat> this sermon is for you. You complained more about good grief. They didn't plow that exit well. Hey, that person didn't pass you fast enough on the left because you're trying to get around a truck. Hey, this person was going too slow and then too fast and then too slow. Hey, gas prices have jumped up, you know, and it, in the last exit, it was 20 cents less a gallon. What's wrong with this world? It was so easy to find myself complaining all the time. So often about meaningless things. So often about things that have no bearing, no real impact on my life, no real impact on the gospel mission. No, but we complain all the time. And sometimes we argue, you know, over the small stuff, over big stuff, over everything we can find to, to just what are we arguing about now? Well, brothers and sisters, this is a place that I'll be honest, some of this sermon sounds a little familiar. Well, we, we had a little bit of this talk last spring. I feel like I didn't learn my lesson and probably you need a reminder too. We need to come back to this spot again and again. Because notice what Paul says. Then you will shine like stars among them. Part of our witness in the world is that we don't get so upset. That we really seek not to, to be an argumentative about all things. That we, sure, we'll disagree. Sure, we'll have discussions. All of that is fine. But when we begin to complain and argue Oh, it just, it's a danger. It's a danger. I'm reading a book. Um, got it here. Um, by a guy named Mark Dever. And he's talking about what is a healthy church. And there's this phrase that kind of caught my eye. 
it's about it's a little parable about a couple that's about to leave a church and they're about to to exit and they were sort of having some discussions with the pastor about why they're leaving the church and it says well her husband had made just enough critical comments over the years that her heart had begun to reflect his no he never burst into an open tirade against the body in fact he usually apologized for being so negative, as he put it. But the little complaints that he let slip out here and there had and had that and had um, had an impact. The small groups, they were a little cliquish. The music, it was a little out of date. The programs did seem a little silly. The teaching wasn't entirely uh, to their liking. In the end, it was hard for the two of them to put their fingers on it, but they finally decided that the church just wasn't for them. That little parable stood out to me. The little complaints, the little... I love the phrase where he said, now I'm probably being too critical here, but let me go ahead and say it. Do you find yourself doing that? I wonder how often in my, you know, Andy Stanley says, you know, leaders are, are critical and we have to be good critical thinkers about what's going on with the programs and the ministries of the church. I wonder how often my criticisms have impacted others, my spouse, my friends, other church members. You know the old adage, if you've got nothing good to say, maybe say nothing at all. Maybe if, I, if it's not really building up the congregation, maybe I, I need to keep that one to myself. Now, if there's places that I really can build up and can encourage and can help, yes, I need to go straight to the person who can actually change some things or make a difference. Or, or maybe I can say a few words to encourage them as I, I give them perhaps that little element of criticism that, 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 that could make things better. Absolutely, we need to make each other better. The scripture tells us as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. But this warning is for all of us who maybe throw the little jabs or maybe the little complaints, the little things that could actually weaken and dishearten the body. Are we having a bad impact by our words? Do everything, Scripture says, without complaining or arguing. Number two, I think we need to watch out for where we're expressing disdain. What do I mean? You know, it's the people that you really, really, really don't like. Um, I've spoken about bad drivers. Uh, people that really, really don't like. I need to be careful. Okay, look what James says in James 3. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be be is there a group are there people that you found yourself really being negative about really criticizing it is it a particular person okay we've all just gotten back well at least we have just gotten back from time with family maybe you spend some time with family as well is there that family member 
you know, that everybody kind of says, oh, you know, uncle so-and-so, or you know, cousin, or you know, brother or sister or mother or father or, ch or child. Is there someone that you're, you're really, it's, well, we love them, but they really just bother you. Are we expressing contempt or disdain? Is there a coworker that everybody talks about and it's so easy to just join in on the complaints? It's so easy just to find ourselves uh, speaking ill of them. Are there church members? Maybe we even hide it as a prayer request. You know, we really need to pray for sister so-and-so because she, you know, boy, we're really praying for her attitude. <laughs> I mean, are, is there some place where we find ourselves not cherishing one another as a gift of God that God has brought us into one family to make each other better, to strengthen one another, and we begin to express contempt or disdain? Students, oh wait, is that just, <laughs> sorry, that may just be for me. It was a really exhausting semester. I found myself complaining about the students that bring me so much joy. Oh my goodness, what's going wrong? And I don't know if any of you are as worried about this next cycle of political mid-year whatevers. I, I was on the news for just a minute um, at a hotel uh, the other night and, 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 there, and I thought, wow, that is so one-sided on this side. Then I'm on a different news station and wow, that's so one-sided on the other. And every one of them is already just talking just well, it's just hatred towards one another. We can't go through that again. Not as God's people. Not as those who are supposed to be light in the darkness. Not as those who are supposed to be different than everyone else. The scripture is clear. Brothers and sisters, don't slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting on judgment sitting in judgment on it. It's clear, don't slander. It's clear, do everything without complaining or arguing. It's clear that we shouldn't praise God with our mouths in the next moment, be cursing or showing contempt and disdain towards another. But what does this last part mean in verse 11? About when you speak against a brother or sister, you're speaking against the law and you're judging it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. That was an interesting phrase for me. That was an interesting thought. Well, one thought about that is this, that sometimes we actually get to a place where we stop being obedient to God's word and we decide that we know best. Well, let me give you an example. I might say something like, I know I'm not supposed to slander someone, but in this case, I really need to speak my mind. Or I know I'm not supposed to be discouraging or, or um, complaining, but really in this case, I should. Sometimes that in this case is me sitting in judgment on the law. Me saying, oh, I know God said this, but I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do my thing anyway. I'm going to make an excuse for myself in this case. I wonder what it would be like. If as a church, as a people, as a pastor, as servants of Jesus Christ, we made the commitment that this year, this year, I want there to be absolutely no limits to obedience in my life. 
If God says go, I go. If he says don't go, I don't go. What he says to not talk about, I don't talk about. If he says don't complain, I don't complain because God's word said it and I want to glorify him in all things. My love relationship with him is that I'm obedient to him. I want to do what he says. I want him to be glorified in my heart. I want it to be different. I want to be his and wholly his. Is that your prayer this semester? Is that your prayer this year? I'm still in semester mode. Is that your prayer this year? For me in this new year, I want to continue to pray. Lord, let the words of my heart, my words of my mouth, and the meditations of my heart be glorifying to you. Don't slander one another. Finally, I think we need to be careful about boasting. The scripture warns us about boasting. Now, Obviously, we're not those that sit around and brag about ourselves, right? And all of our accomplishments. That's not us. That's not us. But look at what John says. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. M.J. Washington, uh, several weeks ago, uh, did a really good sermon on this about the types of sins and types of sin temptations we face. And when he spoke about this, he, he brought out this idea about the pride of life, this idea that it's boasting about what we have or do, our accomplishments, the things that we think make us have worth in somebody else's eyes. We need to get to the point and continue to keep ourselves at the point where the only thing that brings us value is the re realization that God loves us in Christ Jesus. That God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us. It's not about my accomplishments. I am nothing. Jesus accomplished it all for me. Through his death and resurrection, he earned salvation. He brought a reconciliation and everything in this life will pass away but he stands alone to be glorified and marveled at by his people when he returns. Where is my worth? Where is my value? But there's another way we boast. In James chapter four, it says this, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go do this or do that in this city, we'll spend a year there, carry on business, make money. He says, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We just need to remember our life is not our own. Our life is not that long and our life is honestly not that consequential. God is God. He allows us to participate in his world. By his grace, he allows us to have significance and meaning and to make an impact in the lives of others. All of that is a gift. Everything else, it just passes away. He says, instead, you ought to say this, if it's the Lord's will, we should live and do this or this. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. You know, as we kind of head to this new season as a church, as we begin to it, it begin a revitalization opportunity, it's really easy to say, well, let's make these plans. Let's accomplish these things. And over the last couple of weeks, God is continuing to remind me, I can't do it. Neither can you. And quite frankly, there's nobody else, human person, that can do it either. It's going to be the Lord. We boast, we brag, 
we have self-confidence, when really our confidence needs to be in the Lord, our rock, our redeemer. I don't know that we have to have sort of a little phrase. Some people use this, well, if it's the Lord's will, I'll see you tomorrow. Or if it's the Lord's will, I'll see you on Sunday. Apparently it wasn't the Lord's will because we're not gathered together this Sunday at church. I don't know if we need to always put that phrase there. You can. But I think I want to have words that are always reflecting the idea that it doesn't depend on me that all things really are in God's hands, that any success that, that comes about is because of what God accomplishes in us and through us by his goodness and grace. See, we have an opportunity to glorify God and not ourselves. So this year, how do I want to change? Maybe how do you want to change? Well, number one, I want there to be a lot more thankfulness and praise in my, in my words. Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another with all wisdom, and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Could this year, every day, I say thanks for at least five things? God, thank you for, boy, the roads were clear yesterday. Thank you for Zoom where we can still have worship. Thank you for my neighbor who shoveled my driveway. I got home last night and it wasn't. Thank you, God, for all of these small blessings. Let thanksgiving and praise be ever on my lips that I might bring glory to God. Number two, I want to be full of encouragement and edification. I want to build up the body of Christ. That's what edification is. I want to encourage those. Therefore, he says in Thessalonians chapter 5, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We're not here to tear anyone down. We're not here to make anyone feel bad. We're not here to... No, we, the Holy Spirit will bring conviction. We're here to build people up in their knowledge of Jesus Christ, and their knowledge of his word, and knowledge of what it is to live for him. Let's build one another up. Let's encourage one another as we see God working in each other's lives, as we see the gifts that God has made each of us to be in this fellowship and in this world. Let's encourage and build one another up. And finally, I want my speech to be full of faith. Not faith in myself, not a vain hope, but faith in the faithful one. Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, May I never boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I think Paul really gets it. I think he may be, at least in Scripture, the one that, that expresses it the most clearly. This idea that God is our God that Jesus Christ did the work, that our boasting should be only in him. Today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, maybe today you say, Jesus, I accept the forgiveness that you earned for me, that you purchased for me through your death on the cross. Jesus, I want to follow you, my resurrected savior. If that's you today, it's a simple decision. It's a simple prayer and it changes everything. Maybe you're like me, and you need to pray again this New Year's prayer. This prayer that says, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Maybe that becomes your prayer day after day, week after week. That's sort of my challenge to you, uh, that you 
join me in praying just that verse, Psalm 1914, just each day this week. Um, we're going to look at this verse again next week um, and just see if God would set a new year with new patterns in our life. And you can ask me how I'm doing. How's my speech? Is it been glorifying to God this week? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word and for your uh, time with your people. God, we thank you for Zoom. We thank you for the gifts uh, that Josh and, and Aaron and Cindy and Hirsch and all the people bring to this congregation uh, that we can worship together even when we're not together. Father, we ask that you would guide us and transform us into the likeness of your Son, that every word, every day, would glorify you in every way. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the risen Savior King, who always glorified you and glorifies you in this moment. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today in worship. Uh, We're going to end the service uh, at this point and, and just invite you to go out in the strength of the Lord to be a blessing to others, uh, to strengthen and encourage, to give praise and glory to God, both with your prayers, with your words, with your songs, that you would edify and encourage and that you would express your faith in the faithful one who died for you, who rose again, and lives to be both Savior and Lord of our lives. Let him be Lord in everything this week uh, as you glorify him in Christ Jesus. God bless you all.